Buyers and sellers. Inspect the handiwork of the local craftspeople. Haggle over the price of yarn. And become saturated by a sense of nostalgia for a life you never knew. Roll up, roll up. It's time to talk tall to me. Talk tall to me. Get your talk tall to me right here. Only three shillings a piece. Buy 12 talk tall to me. Get one free. Welcome back. I am Omen Sade. And I am Nick McGill. Together we are Feckless Moans. And this is Talk Tall to Me. A weekend drive into the sleepy seaside town of Prague Rock, in which never go with the first price Nick, and oh my goodness, look at that exquisite table runner Omen, <laughs> will try desperately not to spend all of our hard-earned cash on seminal Prague Rock band Jethro Tull. Yes, every booth an album, every turnip a song, we will judiciously investigate our way through the entire discography of Jethro Tull. From the baked goods section of This Was, to the suspicious antiques area of Catfish Rising, neither Nick nor I will rest until we have perused for your pleasure the entirety of what Jethro Tull has to offer. And then... We will go for a much-needed frosty pint. See, this episode, brand new, I could see for 20p, but this isn't worth much more than, like, 10 tops. It's got a scratch. This episode's got a scratch right here. Look at that. I'm going to have to replace half of this episode when I take it home. It's. I'm going to pay more in replacement parts than yeah. it's going to cost to pay you That's right. full price. But, but you know what? Look at the lovely patina on it. That's true. You can't. You can't buy that. I mean, you can't you can. buy a patina. You can. It's 20p, actually. So, <laughs> <laughs> Nick, hello. Omen, welcome back after quite a hiatus. You have. Welcome back. And also, in another way, welcome for the first time to oh. the subtropical floating recording of Feckless Moment Studio, where That's I currently right. am located. Feckless, F- Feckless Studio Prime. No, beta. I don't know. Feckless Moms, but with a pineapple on it. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say you went to hell and back, but you didn't come back. I haven't come back yet. (laughs) No. My wife and I moved to the state of Florida in the United States, which is where Jules Verne set his, uh, the first part of his novel, From the Earth to the Moon. Yep. And it's also famous for one or other, two other things. Yeah. That's what it's best known for. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) A <laughs> little bit of a new setup. Hopefully sound quality is good. Omen and I are looking at each other for the, the first face. time. Yeah, I mean, our eyes are pressed right up to the cameras. It's it's a little awkward, but very intimate. One of the advantages <laughs> to the move is that my wife and I now have tons more space than we did in our tiny New York City apartment. So I now have an entire separate room, which is dedicated office space. Unheard of. And unheard of. Haven't heard of it yet. And so I'm no longer recording in the corner two feet from my wife's pillow where she sleeps. That's why the last last year of episodes where it was Omen whispering this, yes. the whole time. And yeah. snoring in the background. Yep. It's, it explains it all. Quick Tiki check. How's Tiki doing with the move? She is... Getting there, she was she was pretty confused. She hated the the three day car ride. Yeah, not a fan of that. 
Understandable. I was pretty confused for the first couple days. There's so much more space for her to to explore, but she's just sort of last night and this morning, she's kind of turned a corner and she's starting to do her regular routines. And yeah, I think overall she approves. I'm sure she does. More space, fresher air, quieter. Yeah. Quieter, big time quieter. Way more places to poop. I mean, honestly, or throw up on. <laughs> yeah. She, she hasn't thrown up yet. Oh, um, just you. But she does keep coming out of corners with like, dust and cobwebs on her whiskers so i'm like where oh. where where were you so you uh that? you don't need a um a mechanical uh vacuum you can just use use her yeah oh, yeah that's great i prefer an unmechanical vacuum anyway <laughs> a biological a non, vacuum a non-euclidean vacuum <laughs> <laughs> well let's wrap up catch up there we don't want to stray too far off the rails. Where did the rails go? I don't even see them at this point. Nick, with all that being said, we have, shockingly, another song about which to talk tall today. That we do. That we do. We are getting there. We are almost without Zealot Gene in the mix. That is a hypothetical right now. Without Zealot Gene in the mix, we are almost halfway through our 300 episodes. Oh, M-G. That's yeah. right. We are not going to count the chickens of Zelt Gene until they hatch out of their strange little eggs. Just angry, bitter, commentary chickens. Peck. Just pecking, peck, peck, peck. pecking at society. Pecking at society with their little flute beaks. But before we get into the song, we have ourselves a lovely five-star review. What? <laughs> Sir. Sensors have detected another star in the sky. Dear Lord, that's five stars. Five stars. Five stars. Wemsley from Great Britain writes, one word, brilliant. And then goes on with more (laughs) words. But he only needed the one. They only needed the one, yeah. A brilliant podcast. Tull have been missing from the pod sphere for a long time, and this certainly fills that hole. I got into Tull when I was 16. I'm now 37, and have never had anyone to obsess about them with. My friends, although wonderful, have never bothered with Tull despite my numerous pleas. Discovering these guys were of a similar age to me. Steady on there, friend. <laughs> of a similar age to me, clever, funny, and insightful, has given me plenty of yes mate moments, along with many more insights I'd not considered. Ian Anderson is a genius, and this podcast recognizes, but isn't afraid to poke a little fun when required. I love it! Nice one, lads. Oddly enough, Wemsley sounds just like Maggie Smith. Uh, Dame Maggie Smith. It's it's peculiar. Who she, is also 37. Also 37. She looks pretty weathered, though. She's <laughs> been through a lot. She's been through a lot. It's that English diet. So, <laughs> of just scotch eggs. Thank you so much, Wemsley, for that review. We encourage all of our sweet listeners to give us a five-star review. It's how more of you nerds can find us and listen to us and enjoy our absurd takes on Jethro Tull. That's right. And, you know, it's a service It's a service that we wanted for ourselves because we, besides each other, didn't have anyone to talk tall about. True that. And so, yeah. So now we talk tall to you guys. So thank you. To you. 
And that's that's it. You are filling our holes. Well, so, Nick, uh, anything else before we get into the episode today? <laughs> no, 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 no. I think we should dive in. This one is this one's pretty meaty in terms of anthropology and etymology. So I think we've, 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 we're setting ourselves up for a, a, a pretty thick episode here. So this is the second bonus track off of the Heavy Horses oeuvre. That it is. And, Nick, this is... Actually, a song that I have maybe only heard once before, or possibly yes. even never. We'll find out in a moment. I believe that you have heard this one before. You probably don't remember. Um, it's one that I'm I'm pretty familiar with. It is Broadford Bazaar. Broadford, Broadford Bazaar. Have a potentially listen. new lesson. Nick. You've heard that song before, right? I don't know that I have, actually. Maybe once at one point, but I, that felt very new to me. And thank you. <laughs> thank you for that. And I also have The Bumps of the Goose Upon My Skin. Oh, it's such a pretty song. I love that song a lot. Yeah, it's so, so lovely. There's a lot going on in that song. It's three and a half minutes long. Really? Yep. It feels oh. much longer in the best of ways. Yes, it does. You know? It feels timeless. Yeah. Content-wise, I really love it. Musically, it's just, it's such a treat. It's such a lovely acoustic treat. Well, let's jump into that treat there yeah. from the musical perspective. Uh-huh. This is a strictly Ian Anderson joint. It really is. We've got three instruments, tops. Yeah. Four, including his voice. Is. Is the acoustic doubled? I can never tell. I can never tell if there are two going on at the same time. If I hear acoustic, it's just like acoustic to me. I could not tell if there were two going or not. Okay, having had another listen to it on from my end, I don't know. I (laughs) I am no closer to a conclusion. But what I did hear was it seemed to me like possibly there is a doubled guitar track, but what there certainly is is some kind of maybe a delay or an mm-hmm. echo mm-hmm. filter. Yeah, maybe Definitely that's all a, it a is. a bit of reverb, but there's there's a sense that sometimes he hits the string and there's, like, you hear that initial hit and then you hear a little uh, backup hit of it from the from the pedal. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we've we've got at least one acoustic, very beautiful. At least one acoustic. Which we're, we're accustomed to at this point. It's a little different acoustic sound than, than we normally hear from Ian. It's, it's a lot... It's a heavier folk acoustic-y sound, but it's really nice. Yeah. Ian's voice in this. This is my favorite Ian voice. It's so genuine. It's There's no affectation. It's just Ian on stage with a guitar. It's really beautiful. Yeah, it sounds like he doesn't... He, he's not trying to put on any kind of a character. No. He's not trying to do any kind of a particular sound. He's just... He's, his voice sounds relaxed, like sometimes it, yeah. it sounds very strained. Yeah, if he's trying it's... to hit like a really high note or something, particularly what we hear a little bit later on, yeah. But the notes in this aren't that low. No, no, not really. This is his range. I, I feel like it's very comfortably in his range. Yeah, and it sounds great. I, I mm-hmm. 100% agree with that. We get his voice echoing with the second second set of lines in that first verse when he gets into mm. red with red-faced 
honking the horn or laying on the horn or whatever. Yes. With hot red face drivers, horns, flattened fists, wailing. We get flute kicking in on the first chorus that sticks with us the rest of the way. And it's all come willing now, spend the shilling now, stack up the bag of your new motor car. And let's talk about that flute. That is a little bit different than mm-hmm. what we're accustomed to hearing as well. Yeah. So for me, there is a, I don't want to say an imitation exactly, but there is a a playing with a kind of a Celtic flute sound that we don't always hear. Sure, often, yeah. It's more that kind of jazz rock flute sound. Mm-hmm. There are some specific things that he's doing in this track that... That make that kind of put it into that more traditional sounding mode. Mm-hmm. One of which is he's bending the notes quite frequently. Okay. Do you hear what I'm talking about when he's like he starts out a note and it's like D and he goes like D. Yeah. Yeah. It gives it a really ethereal quality. Yeah, and that's a that's a cool technique that you can do by simultaneously rolling the flute either away or towards you and tightening or loosening the embouchure at the same time to keep the airstream consistent across the hole. It's it's not easy, but, you know, for someone who's been playing the flute for so long, like him, it's totally achievable. But the, the fact that he's doing it with just such feeling is just lovely. Yeah, there's a precision to it. Like, it's, it's not... It's not loosey-goosey. As ethereal as it feels, it's not loosey-goosey. Like, it, it's all very, very directly delivered, and it, it, it makes it very potent. It's not Mother Goosey. It's not Mother Goosey. It definitely isn't. Then we get tambo, some tambo, the last of the instruments, on oh, out of yeah. the north, we get tambourine coming in. Out of the north, no oil rigs are drifting. For for the rest of it, it's just those three, those four instruments, including Ian's voice. The rest of the song. Yeah, it's great. It switches back and forth between major and minor quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Okay, the verses are mostly in kind of a minor mode minor key and then it switches into uh, a, a major chord construction when we get to and it's all come willing now yeah the chorus yeah and it's all come willing now spend the shilling now stack up the bag of your new motor car but the flute just going back to the flute it also you know just the way that he I'm trying to think of specifically how to describe this, but he he's using some techniques that are very, I think, deliberately referential to traditional, broadly, let's say, Celtic, but, you know, sure. Northern Scottish mm-hmm. and Irish musical traditions. Can you elaborate on that anymore? I or? won't. Okay. Here. No, I will. Hold on a second. Okay. I don't know the name for it, but I guess they're almost like grace notes. So instead mm. of going... Dum, he's going dum. Yeah, and and often that first note is is a half step below, so mm-hmm. it's not it's not da dum, but da dum. Yeah. So all of his approaches are are grace noted like that, which is very 
much in that tradition. He's also doing something in the structure of what he's playing, where he's, for a lot of the times, he's following the melody of the singer, which is himself. Right, yeah. With the flute line. And that's very typical of a lot of those traditions where, mm. you know, oftentimes the the flute will be basically doubling the singer's voice sure. for a lot of that. And then when the singer drops out and you have an instrumental break, it will do a slightly more complex version of that tune. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, yeah that's really nice. It all ties into a kind of a cultural feel. And I think that taps directly into the the content of the song as well. The, the song is very geographically located. It's a lot like, what is it, Acres Wild, where it's the, the winged isle, the Isle of Sky. Well, let's talk about that. Yeah. Let's talk about geography, Nick. You know that's one of my burning passions. You're one of those things you love. I set maps on fire all the time. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> no one can stop me. If you look up Broadford, yeah. UK, mm-hmm. have you done that? I have. Okay. I did an actual chunk of research on this one because it, it's oh so Who it's are so you meaty. what have you done with my podcast host? I know. <laughs> you will discover that Broadford is a tiny little small town on the eastern north-ish side of the Isle of Skye. So the, the the northern coast of the Isle of Skye, but it's quite far to the south because of the weird shape of the Isle of Skye. That being said, being a tiny little settlement, it is also the second largest settlement on the Isle of Skye. <laughs> right, right. It's off of the inner sound. It's close to, well, nothing really, except maybe the Isle of Scalpe. It also straddles the Broadford River. Oh, it sure does. Which is uh, yeah. which is pertinent to the context of the the boats coming in to to the the town itself because that is their road. Right. Yeah. So it's sort of the cross. It is the it is the intersection of land travel and sea travel in this on this island on mm-hmm. the Isle of Skye. And and as you pointed out, even though it's a small town, it is the second biggest town on the Isle <laughs> of Skye. And so naturally, yep. it is where people would congregate from across the island on a weekend to do business. And for some, it may be because this river is right there. It's, it is in right in the middle. It might be easier to just sail in as opposed to, to coming over land, you know? Absolutely. So, so let's jump into some of the lyrics, Nick, shall we? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Dirty white caravans down our road sailing. Viva's cortinas weaving in their wake. Dirty white caravans down the road sailing. Viva's cortinas weaving in their wake. So, just a, a little fun thing here. A cortina is uh, made by Ford. It's a car, and it was the most popular selling car in Britain for like three decades and it's just a little probably a little four-cylinder affordable reliable little ford it's also a yacht with a motor bitch what yeah it's a it's a motor yacht and a viva is a houseboat a boat that you live on viva being life or or living so you went the the car route i went the the boat route i 
this dirty white caravan sailing. I'm seeing them sailing up this river to come into Broadford. But a caravan could also refer to what we refer to as a a motorhome. Exactly, yeah. So it's sort of a double image that he's crafted there. It really is, yeah. And you could say a car is sailing, you know, you could say that you could use really any verb to to explain the the locomotion of a vehicle. You of know? course, especially in an area where there is so much kind of sea adjacent language, mm-hmm. you could, you know, often often you apply the verbiage from one set of things to another. Yeah. I was going the car route because the next couple of lines with hot red-faced drivers, horns flattened, fists waving, putting yeah. trust in blind corners as they overtake. With hot red-faced drivers, horns flattened, fists wailing. Putting trust in blind corners as they overtake. Which is such a great set of images there. Yeah. It's it's very evocative. Like I see that happening. I I there there's no question in my mind of traffic on the river or on the roadway trying to get into Broadford. Right. Well, and especially, you know, on an island with a population that is, you know, approximately the size of Oswego, New York, spread out over over hundreds and thousands of acres. Yeah. Traffic means something different. You know, I think in this context, it's like because the roads are so small and because they're so windy, Mm. If there's a big truck trying to get down the road to sell goods, someone in a little a little Ford would be infuriated because normally they can just blast down the road. But in this case, they're going to pass on a two-lane road or maybe a one-lane road, really, right? where they can't see what's coming. So it's very dangerous. Yeah. But they're all, they're all worked up because it's the big monthly or weekly business session where you go out. Yeah, they, they want to get there. They want to either set up their stalls or they want to be the first one to get there to buy something from the stalls, you know? Sure. Well, and all this goes back to the market tradition, which is so fundamental to life in the old world, less so in here in the States. But, you know, the 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 marketplace as a physical tradition is really, go, you know, goes back hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And there are so many other cultural things that have come out of that, you know, that it, it really represents the the heart of business going back for, like, as I said, hundreds and hundreds of years. Yeah. So the fact that this is the modern continuation of a very old tradition is something that's, you know, very up Ian's alley in terms of being a writer. He understands. And, and remember, this is, he moved here, you know, he moved to the Isle of Skye, he didn't move here. He set up his his salmon farm here. Right. So he's, so he's, he was visiting here quite a lot. Yeah, while. he's intrinsically connected to the culture and... Yes, and I can imagine... Yeah, absolutely. And I can imagine him seeing... You know, you mentioned Acres Wild. I feel like this is the, this is the flip side of Acres Wild. Acres mm. Wild is him coming in as a big rock star with tons of money being like, uh, yeah, I'm going to help the economy recover with salmon. <laughs> it was more the fantasy of the economy of the mm. Isle of Skye and what he was going to do for it. But there's there's also a reference to the fact that the oil rigs aren't there anymore. The jobs right. for many are down to the few. So he's there's still like a, a present awareness. 
Absolutely. But this is a more, I would say, direct observation rather than his relationship with it. Oh, okay. Yes. This is this is Ian as Ian being the narrator simply observing. Yeah. This isn't I'll make love to you. Yeah. This is I see you doing your thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is this is pretty common to to what we hear in Heavy Horses. Yeah. Okay. I love the chorus, the proto-chorus. It's all come willing now, spend a shilling now, stack up the back of your new motor car. And it's all come willing now, spend a shilling now, stack up the bag of your new motor car. That's almost like a hawker's. Yeah. Yeah, it's in cry. it's in quotes. Yeah, it's in quotes. It's saying, "Come on, spend your money, buy everything and fill up your car." And I feel like that is not him reading off of a poster or a billboard. That is him listening to someone mm-hmm. standing at their their muscle bucket saying, "Come on, people, buy this." You know, kind of mm-hmm. like what what we were joking about in the in the intro, but that that kind of Hawking. I mean, there's that hawking, yeah, hawking. Their there's that yeah. ancient tradition, and people still, of course, do it. And there, and it's a it's a highly developed art form in some ways. Yeah, yeah. It reminds me, as so many things do, of the Learner and Low musical Oliver. Okay. Who will buy? Who will buy? Who? I mean, do you know that one? No. Anyway, it's a song comprised of people selling things. Gotcha. Moving on to, with that that section <laughs> like of chorus. Moving on, moving on as fast as we can. Oliver to the rest of that chorus. There's home dyed woolens and wee plastic coolins. There's home dyed woolens and wee plastic coolins. The day of the Broadford Bazaar. Yeah, Nick, have you got anything for Kulin? I have a little bit, yeah. In in any resource of lyrics online have Kulins? Kukulins? What is it? Question mark? Mythical. Yes. So I I, I poked around and so brought the, the Kulins are a mountain range on the Isle of Skye. Uh Broadford oh. is in the shadow of the red Kulins. And there are a number of theories about the derivation of the name Kulin. It's often suggested that it comes from the Old Norse word Kulin, meaning ridges. uh, I I buy that one. It also may refer to the keel of a boat, suggesting that it it looked like an upturned Viking longship. However, the the Gallic derivations of the name Kulins suggest that there's a link to Celtic mythology, that the hills are where the Irish mythological demigod Cúchulain learned archery from a female warrior. Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of legends about him. He was, he has some connections uh, later down the line with Arthurian mythology as well. Mm-hmm. So is it plastic Cúchulain's meaning like 
plastic toy mountains? Is it plastic coolins, meaning the the Irish demigod? It's like a good luck charm, or is it an action figure, basically? I can't find anything on this. I would reckon, if I had to guess, I would I would bet that it is based on the information that we have a a little figurine of the mountains you know like you might go mm. to some place and they have you know like you go to mount rushmore and they have a little a little sure ceramic reproduction of mount rushmore you go to paris yeah and you can't avoid being sold little reproductions of the eiffel tower so it's just a it's like a plastic touristy piece of junk yeah absolutely i ah, i okay. think so i like it i suspect that what we'll find is all of our uh, listeners from the area will write in and be like, actually, it's a little cup that you drink this out of. <laughs> it's a, you know, I mean, who knows? But I think that yeah. it is probably some kind of memento of the area, some mm-hmm. kind of local memento. So the next line gives us the the title of the song, Broadford Bazaar. What is a bazaar? Oh, well, a bazaar is a marketplace. It is a yeah. large conglomerate marketplace where people come and sell and buy things. I think that the word is possibly Arabic in its origin. I th- I think it is, yeah. What, should we look that up real quick? Yeah. It's in the States, we would call it a flea market, really. I mean, it's an open air market. Usually it's open air, but there are some places that will set up in in a an enclosed area and be like a permanent flea market, which I think goes against the the idea of a flea market, the inherent existence of a flea market being kind of transient. Sure. So the word bazaar, we get it in the late 16th century from Italian. The Italians mm. got it from the Turkish and the Turkish got it like they get all their good stuff from the Persians. Gotcha. There it is. So, you know, in the States, we do have some examples of something like this. I remember... When my brother and I were playing music together, he played the harp and I played the flute. Little little ancient history for you. We would go down to the farmer's market in, there was one in Ithaca, I think. Mm, mm-hmm. And so we, you know, our version of this is the, are the farmer's markets. And in various places you can sure, find sure. really good farmer's markets. And they will, well, there's, there's, there's the one in Rochester, the, the public market. Yeah. And you can get anything from locally grown produce to cheaply made kitchen implements to local honey. Clothing, all sorts of stuff. Clothing, any kind of handicraft. I believe I still have the album of you and your brother playing, so I will drop in a song here. From Rising Sea. That's it, yeah. Oh, boy. So yeah, but but you know, again, as we go back to Europe, it becomes mm-hmm. more of an essential part of commerce, whereas here it's sort of a quaint extra bit of commerce that yeah. not that many people rely on. But I feel like for an island like this, it really is where people who were subsisting off of the land could stand to make a lot of their yearly income. Or yeah. People who have cottage industries, like, you know, oh, they, they have a main job, but in the evening they, 
they spin wool, you know, they might be mm. able to gain additional income that really helps them through the year, especially if yeah. if the place is in a state of economic decline, as indicated by some of the later lines. Yeah, and where where else would you sell your wool? If you not online, if you baby. Ch- if you don't have chickens, where would you buy eggs? You know, right. it's, it is that that cultural collector where everybody comes to to sell and buy, and it's it's where information is is collected. Yes. It's where people talk and learn news. Yes, learn gossip. You know, certainly less now because people are a lot more connected to things. But I mean, in the late seventies, you know, there. Sure as hell wasn't any internet. There may not have even been phone lines in some of these really remote places yeah. at that time. I mean, Talk Tall to Me was only like two episodes in at that point. So <laughs> they really needed to... Remember when we had to call all of our listeners individually and have a, yeah. and repeat this exact conversation? Mm-hmm. It took a long time. It took a long time. The Telegraph version was even longer. <laughs> yeah. Someone just had to stand there and just wind it up every every twenty minutes. Right. You know, I've I've looked into what it takes to to make something a, a vinyl pressing with the idea of like how many talk tell to me episodes can we get on a vinyl? Half of one. It is prohibitively expensive. Yes, no doubt. <laughs> I think we'd be better off with a music box. Oh sure, yeah. Just those little tinky, tinky little tin pieces. Yeah. Um, so the next verse has some really interesting context here. Yeah. That you've already touched on. Out of the north, no oil rigs are drifting and jobs for the many are down to the few. Blue bottle choppers, they visit no longer like flies to the jam pots they were just passing through. So Out of the north, no oil rigs are drifting. And jobs for the many are down to the few. Blue bottle choppers, they visit no longer. Like flies to the gem pops, they were just passing through. Here is one of our first Jethro Tull references to oil rigs. Uh-huh. Isle of Skye is, of course, located in the North Sea which has a bunch of oil reserves underneath it, which have at various points been exploited to the economic advantage of the area. But my impression, and I don't know the full history of it, but my impression is that the oil industry in that area goes through periods of boom and bust where the technology will develop to the point where they can access a certain oil field and then they will exploit it yeah, and use it all up. And then the, and you know, and, you know, while they're exploiting it, they create all these kind of local jobs, all these industries form around the oil rigs, and then they dry up and everything yeah. collapses. Because you, you never plan for it to be like, okay, we're only going to get like three years out of this. Right. You know, you, you expect when you hit the big one, it's going to stay. So people move in, people become permanent residents or permanent workers until that time where, sorry, we're going to have to lay off and you're going to have to move back to to Germany or wherever. Yes, or wherever. <laughs> and the, well, yeah. And, or if you're an oil executive, you know, you have a sense of how long it's going to last, but you certainly don't sure. tell all the excited new workers about what? about that. Yeah. In the meantime, you look for another another place to dig holes into the ground. Right, and, exactly. 
Yeah. So I, you know, it does seem like this is a place where at various points there have been economic booms because of oil. And now yeah. at the time of the song, obviously, there was an economic recession. Yeah. What about the blue bottle choppers? Do you have any theories about that, Nick? Just it looks like a fly, you know? A blue bottle fly. Hmm. Yeah, just buzzing around at the jam pots. That's all. But the blue bottle choppers they visit no longer like flies to the jam pots. They were just passing through. There's nothing more there for them. Yeah. I've got a theory that I want to share with you. I think it's wrong, <laughs> but I want to share it with you. The The best theories are the ones that, that follow after, well, I know this is incorrect, yes. but. <laughs> so in the antiques world, there are certain types of blue glass uh-huh. that are considered highly valuable. Sure. I have the impression that at various points, tourists come to this island and scour it for valuable antiques that they buy up at a low rate and then take to London and Paris and New York and sell for hundreds of dollars. Whatever the latest antique craze is that hasn't been stripped bare. Exactly. So I kind of feel like the blue bottle choppers or maybe shoppers are the ones who are coming into town being like, look at all this cute old stuff. We will buy it. Yes, ship it to me in my New York penthouse. And like flies, they come and eat up whatever's there and then fly away. Uh-huh. Yeah. I I like that, but I think you're wrong. <laughs> I, think I, uh, <laughs> I do I like it, I also think I'm yeah. wrong, and I also like it. <laughs> I'm glad that we're on the same page. Going back to oil rigs, please let's the second portion of this next upcoming chorus. One of my favorite yes. lines in all of Tall, probably the best rhyme in the English oh, language. It's so good, yes. Where once stood oil rigs so phallic, there's only swear words in Gaelic yes. to say at the Broadford Bazaar. Where once stood oil rigs so phallic, there's only swear words in Gaelic to say. At the Broadford Bazaar. So. So good. There's something wonderful about this that. And I think that one of the things that Ian loves about the Isle of Skye is it's it's refusal to die. Like it's there's something very durable about it. Something very. um, What's the word I'm looking for? Resilient. Yeah. So, you know, even though they've had these times of boom and bust, the things that people come in and say, oh, yeah, this is going to change everything forever. They know that that doesn't last. But you know what lasts? Sure. Is the culture of cursing. (laughs) That there are certain things that last, that that make the island, you know, it's almost as if the the Skyers, the Isle of Skyers. How do you say people who live on the Isle of Skye? Skylanders? Skywalkers. Skyland. (laughs) Their tradition of cursing is what allows them to survive in these adverse conditions. It is. It is their their bread and butter. It's their sustenance. Yes. Would you like some spite on your jam? Yes. Yeah, thank you. Do you want to do some some Gallic swears? Do you have any? I do, yeah. I looked it up. Oh my god, yes. From The Scotsman... 
the online newspaper The Scotsman. Scottish, some Scottish insults here. Boggin is foul smelling. Yeah. Something is boggin. Yeah. Doty is stupid and simple. A dauber is an idiot or a jerk. Fierty is coward. You're fierty. <laughs> Gami is a simple-looking idiot. Hey, I've seen a lot of those. Howlin is smelly. Huh. Mince, you're talking mince, is rubbish. You're talking, it's it's baloney. Right. Numpty, we know, is an idiot. Right, Naff is boring. Sure. A roaster is an idiot. Huh. That's fun. Yeah. A tube is an idiot, apparently. They have lots of, of words here. for idiots. Yeah. I think that... Scots and Gaelic are not the same thing. They're not. But I've, I have heard the term Scots Gaelic. Absolutely. Huh. Interesting. Interesting indeed. So moving on to some more interesting word choices here. Yes. The next, next line comes up. All kinds of people who come down for the opening. Crofters and cottiers, white settlers galore. Yeah. All kinds of people come down for the opening. Crofters and cotters, white settlers galore. Or wild, wild settlers galore. That's also a question mark on here. White and wild kind of both work, right? I mean, the Isle of Skye is probably pretty white, I imagine. <laughs> I would imagine. Also pretty wild. Yeah. Just going back to, to Gaelic for a minute, I found a list yes. of Gaelic insults. Perfect. Um, that I will only try to pronounce one of because I know that I'm going to butcher it, but I just want you to hear the, the difference between the Scots wordage and the Gaelic wordage. So, okay. Here's my attempt. That's my awful attempt at Gaelic. Oh, we're going to get in so much trouble. And that means, may you be badly positioned on a windy day. <laughs> it's very clever. I like I like it. It's very specific, like yeah. So the one, that you may leave without returning. So good. So white and wild settlers, also crofters and cottiers. Okay, so that's one that I at least have some sense of. A crofter, they both refer to someone's relationship with work and the land that they work on and yeah i think a crofter is someone who rents the land that they work on and a coitier is someone who has less control over it but is basically a, a land laborer a croft is a small agricultural unit so a crofter yes. is is the farmer on that specifically the land and they're often part of a large estate where the landowner yeah. is the crofter's landlord Right. Sometimes the crofters can buy their crofts, but more often than not, they rent it and then then use the land as a, as a farmer. A cottier or a cotter is a, a peasant or a farm laborer who occupies a cottage and sometimes a small holding of land, usually in return for services. So basically, they don't get to keep the goods. They just they act as farm labor to live there. I think. Yeah, it almost seems like a holdout from the days of feudalism. I mean, it's a really, really old yeah, system. Yeah, they're serfs. They're serfs, yeah. And, you know, maybe those terms have survived longer than the exact systems they were used to describe. Oh, sure, yeah. But I think that in either case, these words refer to people who work the land, are attached to the land, and and depend on their 
the fruits of their labor, literally in some cases, for right. their survival. Yeah, I agree. I th- I think it could be more of a catch-all term, but it's it's basically what it's telling us is these people are are bringing. Are, are, are working that land and that is their livelihood. And then wild settlers galore. I mean, I wonder if that refers to someone who just has gone off into the hills to create a space for themselves oh, yeah. and is somehow subsisting. Yeah, and, and still needs to come into the bazaar for certain things. Yeah, that's a possibility. And that's contrasted with the next verse wherein they say, we'll take pounds, francs, and dollars from the well-heeled so that leads me back to that that feeling that maybe there are, you know, travelers with means, uh-huh. who are coming in to the quaint little town in the Isle in the Isle of Skye, much like Ian Anderson is. Sure, sure. But also people from Europe. Maybe the bazaar itself is a tourist destination, so people plan their trips. It would be if it's the second biggest town in the Isle of in the Isle of Skye. I'm sure that lots yeah. of people would want to go to the Isle of Skye just because, mm-hmm. and. Where else are they going to go? Right, yeah. There's there's probably only so much you can do, so you, you coordinate your schedule to, to go see this bazaar. So you have the Germans, the Americans, and the English coming and spending their yep. money. And I imagine that a lot of the stuff, like a lot of the little plastic cullions or whatever they are, might be aimed at those travelers. Yeah, definitely. And here's the really amazing thing here. We'll take pounds, francs, and dollars from the well-heeled and stamps from the green shield. We'll take pounds, francs, and dollars from the well-heeled and stamps from the green shield. The day of the broad-faced bazaar. Oh, Nick. Yeah. This is a lovely little bit of history for you. You ready for this? Yeah, the Green Shield was an English spending scheme in this period, introduced in 1958, that was actually adapted from an American scheme of a similar sort, mm-hmm. which rewarded people for spending money. So if you spent money at a certain place, you would be given stamps, and those stamps could then be exchanged for prizes, goods from either a catalog or from certain participating stores. So if you spent enough in your local economy, you could then go and essentially get something for free from like Marks and Spencer. Yeah. It's points on your credit card. That's all it is. Right. But but they're manual. They're actual green stamps that you've put oh, in Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that, Nick. We had a system like that growing up that I remember my mom getting blue stamps from the pharmacy and putting them into a book. I remember there were like oh. stacks of little books with stamps in them. Huh. For just a few years, the scheme was so widely adopted, it was referenced in rock songs. Yes. But it suffered when Tesco ceased to use it as part of a price-cutting policy that became standard nationwide. To retain business, Green Shield allowed customers to buy gifts from the catalog with a mix of stamps and cash, but soon the catalog became cash only, and the operation was rebranded as Argos. Stamps were withdrawn altogether in 91, and the company entered voluntary liquidation in 2002. You enter voluntary liquidation often, don't you, Omen? I'm about to go liquidate myself right now. (laughs) So I have a scan of a Green Shield Stamps Golden Harvest of Gifts catalog. What are some of the options? That I will link in the show notes as well. The following Green Shield gift houses are now open. Cork, Dublin on Mary Street, Dundrum, Limerick, and Waterford. 
We have a convector heater. Oh. For ten and a half books. Wow. A record storage case for four and I can't quite see four and a half books, maybe. A record rack for one book. There are two Bowie albums on here that are using to to show the two-in-one record rack. Yeah, the two-in-one record rack. It's just illustrating the usage of it. I see two Bowie albums. There is a Waltham cassette tape recorder, a cassette box storage case. There's a Kodak cameras. Wow. There's a lot of stuff. There's some pretty dope-ass sunglasses, some big cameras, some baby carriages, a watercolor set toys. There's a picture of the the stamps themselves. It's really, really fascinating to see the kind of a JCPenney catalog, but not quite. And if, you know, it wasn't just Jethro Tull that made references to these stamps. In popular culture, there's a reference to them in Faulty Towers, that great uh, mm. British sitcom. Mm-hmm. Michael Flanders makes a reference to them in a in a Flanders and Swan song. And Nikki Sutton wrote a song called uh, Green Shield Stamps. And Genesis, oh wow, has a song "Dancing with the Moonlit Night" that references the Green Shield. Yes, uh, the Knights of the Green Shield allowed to uh-huh. allow upon Knights of the Green Shield stamp and shout. Green Shield nice. stamp, nice and shout. A little blurb from this catalog. The distribution center of Green Shield is like a modern Aladdin's cave, oh. magically transported to Clondalkin County, Dublin. Row upon row of gifts, a quarter million in all, are stacked from floor to ceiling in a building 640,000 cubic feet in size. This is the heart of the Green Shield Network. From here, a fleet of lorries and vans constantly crisscrossing the country replenishes the stocks in the gift houses in Cork, Limerick, Waterford, and in Dundrum and Mary Street in Dublin City. Irish people everywhere save Green Shield stamps. To a minute. That's the rate at which gifts are dispatched from the distribution center <laughs> through the post or by CIE services to savers who cannot readily get to a gift house. Many savers tell us that, apart from the excellent quality of the gifts, they enjoy collecting the stamps, filling up the savers' books, the mounting suspense as the day for claiming their gifts draws nearer. It's a pleasure that is shared by hundreds of thousands of people all over the country. Because there's bumfuck else to do. There's nothing else to do. Collect your stamps. I have the impression that the stamps are associated with poorer areas. Sure. You know, areas of less vibrant economic activity. There's something in the line. There's a, there's a line reference in the Faulty Towers mention here. In a 1979 episode of British sitcom Faulty Towers, an American tourist sarcastically asks Basil Faulty, what do you get for living in a climate like this? Green stamps? What do you get for living in a climate like this? Green stamps is terrible. It at least gives the illusion of more bang for your buck. And every penny counts. Absolutely. But it also encourages people to spend money, especially in areas, you know, and I think that the whoever invented this might have been, there might have been an element of trying to just get people to spend more money to ramp up the economy. Sure, sure, absolutely. If everybody is pinching pennies, then there is no economy to be had. Indeed. There's also like a moderation of, well, not everyone should be spending all of their pennies just to get green stamps because what tripe are you getting from that? Yeah. So it's, it is the ultimate economic challenge, I guess, you know? So- Anything else on Broadford Bazaar from the lyrics? I feel like this has been a very reference-heavy 
episode, and we may have even gotten some of them right. I'm I'm guessing at least twenty five percent. Oh, I think that's that's love lovely to see that you're exercising optimism, <laughs> Nick. It's it's rare that I do, but no, I don't have I don't have anything else for this song. I I, I like it. It being relatively potentially completely new for you. How do you feel about this song? It's haunting. It is, yeah. I feel there's something very sad about it. There's something very beautiful about it. It, for me, uh-huh. combines the nostalgia of Up the Pool. Mm, okay, sure. With some of the deep observational activities that Ian is so well known for at this point, with also some of the really gut-wrenching economic realities of the of the British Isles at that time. Yeah, it's it's an it's a very cool little anthropological snapshot. And the fact that the music is so sparse while the lyrics are so dense creates this mm. really vivid experience for me listening yeah. to it. He's giving us a, a note of geography in time. It's this it's this self-contained little little entity of of what is most likely going on at that time. And it's, it's like you said, with it being so musically simple, it, it gets the point across and, and it allows you to really kind of absorb what he's trying to say here. I'm going to write a version of this song from my own experiences called The Price Chopper Parking Lot of Mexico, New York. Mm. Yeah, it's going to be very sad. I can't wait to hear the music in particular. It's going to be a kazoo. What, what that's going to be a kazoo. traditional kazoo upstate New York crying kazoo. Baby. <laughs> a mouth harp and a washtub bass. Yeah, and a Ford F one fifty backfiring. Yeah, that's perfect. Next week is a song I am I am confident you've never heard before. Is it another bonus track? It is a bonus track. We've got a couple more bonuses. Oh. We've got three more bonus tracks off of Heavy Horses. This one is called Horse Hoeing Husbandry. Oh my goodness. I have definitely never heard oh, that one. Baby. Yeah, it's gonna be uh it's gonna be a good one. I cannot find lyrics written down for it. Online, I'm going to have to transcribe them for you. <laughs> okay, well, that sounds good. You know, the bonus episodes always, I mean, yeah, the bonus track episodes always feel like a long weekend. They feel like a Monday off. Yeah, you still got to do a little bit of work just to exist as a human being, but they're little—they're freebies, you know? Yeah, <laughs> you, can re- you can be relaxed. <laughs> Until next week, you would be... Losing money to not give us a five-star review, because when you do, you get one quarter of a green stamp that you can redeem for our affection once you filled up four books. For every month of Patreon subscription, you get, you know what, 
I'm going to be generous. I'm going to give you a whole green stamp for that. Wow, that's amazing. Eventually, if you have 10 books of green stamps, that will pay for one month of Patreon subscription. That's right. It's like a coffee card. It's investment. You just got to invest and and eventually you get a freebie. And then you, it's the exciting moment of being able to start another green stamp book. We have been selling these episodes down at the local market for so long that they are no longer fresh, but they are collector's items. That's right. Just blow off the dust. They, some of them still have the wrapper on. Yeah. Them. Cheaper by the dozen. That's yeah. Until next week, I remain Omen Sade. I am still Nick McGill. This is a 1979 four-door Ford sedan that is talk tall to me. And last time I checked, we are feckless moans. Remember, Margaret, we oh, have yes. to buy eggs. We can't spend any money until we get eggs, butter, and bread. Of course, Seamus, of course, yes. Well, uh, I've got an extra penny from the milk money that I say. Oh, my goodness, look at that shawl. Oh, it's such a lovely fabric. Margaret, we can use the burlap sack for a shawl. Find oh. us milk, eggs, and butter. Aren't you always right, Seamus? Yes, of course. Yes, here's a, here's a piece of milk. Better found. Good, we'll save that. We we don't have to buy any. My goodness, look, it's a little figurine of the Virgin Mary. That would just make me pray on my knees so hard every night. We'll carve that in the butter after we buy the butter. Focus, eggs, butter, bread. You're never wrong, are you? You're never wrong. <laughs> I'm never wrong. Oh. The back of my hand is never wrong, Margaret. Oh, hello, Polly. Did you hear the gossip from the other side of the hill? That's right. That's right. The boy down from the road is definitely an homosexual. <laughs> homosexuale. It's a, it's a, it's Italian. Oh, it sounds exotic. Yes, well, it rather is. He's gone off to England. Margaret, focus. Oh, yes, of focus. course. Of course, Seamus, yes. Focus. Eggs. Eggs, bread, butter. Butter, butter eggs, and milk. Bread, eggs, bread, butter, butter. Butter, butter. Listen to that music, Seamus. Why don't we have a wee dance like we did on our wedding night? Margaret, Margaret, is it? It was in my vows, you know, I would never dance again. Sorry, that was the devil talking. I don't know what came over me. Seamus, look over there. For just just three pennies, you can buy a whole gallon of Toctal to me. Oh, God. God save me, Struth. You know, Margaret, that Talk Tull to Me is a proud member of the Feckless Moms Audio Network, and they're just as exotic as that homosexual. <laughs>